And we're live with our 179th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, Ken and I have a few topics to cover today. Before we jump into it, though, uh, we did want to um, shout uh, or call out DEFCON. Um, our training there will be in about a week and a half. I'm pretty sure there are still slots open, if I remember right. But I could be wrong. Let me see. I'm going to look and see if we can actually still book. Um, we'll drop it in there. It does look like there are some slots available. Um, it has been filling up. Uh, if you are interested, now's the time. If you're going to be there, we know not everyone's going to Vegas this year. Um, that's always the case, right? Um, but it's the first public course that we've offered in a while. So there will be others coming this fall, just TBD at this point. Uh, like I said last week, I think, if you have a conference that you would like us to submit a CFT for, would love to um, do that. Like we're willing to travel. It's, it's a good way to meet people and grow the industry. So yeah, other than that, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm in a scramble to get ready for DEF CON. Uh, uh, just, I help run the, the hacker tracker app, that iOS Android scheduling app for DEF CON and other security conferences. Um, so if you know any, notice any problems with that as you're getting into the conference season, please let us know. Um, we're constantly releasing bug fixes, um, modifying schedules, and everything else that goes along with that. Um, I think, not that that had anything to do with the podcast, Ken, but I think that's, uh, that's everything that I've got on my, on my docket right now. Anything else that you wanted to talk through? Uh, not really. Um... Are you wearing a bubble helmet to DEFCON? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen those pictures on Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> the big giant bubble. I just say we wear helmets there. <laughs> just, just, just <laughs> so people can still see your face. Uh, I'll, I'll find some while we're down there. Just you I'm know. gonna get you a helmet so that you know we'll give the training with a helmet on. It'll be it'll be very interesting. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Uh, but you know, I like I know that I'm traveling in after you're you're gonna be there for a while. That's the thing, is you're Anytime you're in Vegas for more than just like three days, like you're you're gonna be wiped when you come back. So, and you're out there yeah. for what a week? Yeah, about that. Uh, between you know, besides Black Hat stuff, and then Ve and then DefCon, because uh, I'm part of the info, the Goon Info team as well, and we're doing the scheduling and all of that. I I don't think it'll be too bad because I'm not just doing Vegas, right? But that's always it. You know, the the self care portion turns into a pretty important thing after you've been there for a couple of days. Otherwise, you're pretty miserable uh, leaving the yeah leaving the strip. Uh, yeah. So we'll see how it goes. I'm I'm sure I'll survive it. Um, yeah, that's that's about all I can say on it. We'll see. So you know, if you find me in Vegas, I'll I will have stickers both for Hacker Tracker and Absolute AppSec and some T-shirts and stuff like that. Come find me. Um, you can like in the mornings during DEF CON, if you come to the Flamingo info booth, that's where I'll be. So anyway, anyone that's listening, that's going to be there, come along. Um, and also a couple of the listeners like Caleb helps out with hacker tracker as well. Um, so should be a good time. 
don't cool. Know. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be a good time. I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm not looking forward to the the seven days in the heat and the crazy that is Vegas, but. Yeah, this year I decided since I yeah, I told you before the uh, before we started that you know I'm going to Vegas twice in like two weeks. So for me, I was like, um, nah, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there this this time. So it's like flying in on yeah. Sunday, uh, pretty much as people are flying out, and then um, you know, so Sunday morning and uh, half Sunday most of that day to relax, see Vegas, whatever, and then. Um, yeah, Monday, Tuesday, and then flying out after our training on Tuesday, late red eye mm-hmm. flight. So yeah. it's going to be in and out for me. It's, I mean, you, you're yeah, the one who's going to be like there for yeah. And most people are yeah. will have left by then, anyways. I think so. Yeah, Monday, Tuesday should be a much lighter load from a DefCon perspective, since it is just the trainings. And I think there's what like eight of them that um, got got picked up or had enough signups. Uh, yeah. to make it worthwhile. Um, but I think it'll still be a good group. The The list, it looks pretty good. It just will be a lot less hackers than uh, is there the week before, right? So right. it'll be, be back to the normal Vegas. I don't know. I, I don't know what you want to call it. What is the normal the fuck Vegas? Is normal like? Vegas? <laughs> That's a good no. question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, there was flooding there in Vegas uh, yeah. like this last week. And they had pictures of And it's funny, too, because, I mean, the we're staying down in that area where all the flooding they've got like photos of like all the the parking garages and everything where cars are completely submerged in water from the flooding and it looks wild hopefully uh you know everything's back to back to ship shape when we get there pretty interesting (laughs) it's vegas they're pretty good at you know making the dirty go away right (laughs) cleaning stuff up (laughs) they're pretty good yeah and that yeah it is vegas uh point yeah yeah i don't know right like yeah not that it really matters but i was checking the you know the weather and it looks like the monsoon stuff calms down next week so or this week anyway um but you never know weather patterns can be crazy so Yeah. yeah we'll stay safe anyway so our first topic today, um, and this one, I think you were saying it came from Clint's newsletter, right? That's where I you think saw so. First. Yeah, I think so. Let me yeah, we in the- Seth and I just basically come up with links from all over the place and just like kind of throw them in uh, to a pile and, and kind of discuss ahead of time. What we're gonna maybe chat about. So it's kind of that's why we're always like, which which place did that come from? Because it's you know it's a lot of different sources that we're grabbing this stuff from, but. Uh, yeah, I think this one actually was from Clint. Um, I can't find. Oh, you have the link. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah I dropped it so in I, there. Yep. I thought what was nice was uh, there were some good lists of reading material. Uh, so there was they had list of uh, newsletters um, and just you know general content to follow for uh, you know just information. Um, they had uh, links to you know sort of uh, tooling that you're, and and like operating systems like Kali and whatnot, basically tools that, you know, you, you can, you can use to, to better your self and, and, you know, basically learn application security tooling. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, there was just, there was some really helpful, I think like upfront advice there. So I'm, I can pull up that link again. Hold on. Uh, so weird when it gets popped in there, I can't actually, there, thank you. All right, cool. Yeah. Right. So, um, have you had a chance to look at this by the way yet? 
Yeah, well, I didn't read it in depth. I, I, I've been perusing it. Um, I did also drop in our link to like AppSec for new professionals, right? Um, mm -hmm. We go at it a little different, but I do like how they've broken it down, like the prerequisites, like, mm -hmm. you know, knowledge bases, online resources, book list is good, certifications, right? Community mm -hmm. involvement. Because, um, I, I mean, that, it's always an interesting thing. I know you always talk about your path into AppSec, right? And I, I mean, yeah. I do as well. Like it's, it's a constant conversation that I have, especially with students, people coming, you know, that want to get into the industry that are maybe in there and want to like take the next step in their career. And so like, I, I, I always like referring back to these, not necessarily from a, Hey, I need to go do all this, but also, Hey, what do I need to round out my own knowledge base? Right? Like it's that constant, um, imposter syndrome that we have because um, there are things and there are gaps in, you know, in my knowledge space, right? Like we've seen a lot, but there's things that we haven't seen. And so it, 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 it's always a good reminder on like becoming an expert in something takes, takes dedication, but it also takes uh, reviewing of kind of what that source material is, as you're getting into the industry because it changes over time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I like that they, they call out, you know, some of the fundamental knowledge uh, pieces that you, you need, right? Like uh, you need to know some basic programming. They call out Python as a good language to start out with. I actually usually do that myself as well. When people ask me like, what should I learn first? I'm usually like, you know what? Python's pretty helpful because like if you're going to deploy a site or do something in the cloud, usually the, the SDK is written in Python or pretty useful, or there are SDKs written in Python. They're pretty useful and usually a little bit easier to get your head around uh, than say like starting with Java or something like that. Um, I feel like Python's just a good like sort of uh, middle ground between um, the, the more uh, languages that make you work more, frankly. Um, and then like something that is just, you know, uh, Ruby is famously hard to get up and running, right? It's an easy language to write in, but it's famously hard to, to, to get up uh, the ecosystem up and running on your machine. Whereas like Python, typically out of the box, you know, very easy to, to get up and running. Um, so I, I agree with that. I think that was a great call out. Um, I like that they said, you know, you need to understand how a web app works. I absolutely think, like, honestly, if, I, if I'm giving somebody advice, I'm going to say like, write an application in build a Django app, build a web app just once, right? Like just build a web app, have it like ahead of time, think of something you might want it to do, even if it's just not for any real purpose, just make up in a business reason if you don't have one. And then, um, yeah, just write it, write an application, do it in something simple. Like, uh, like I said, Python, Django, something like that. And, um, you know, that'll give you a good understanding of the underpinnings of how an application works. And that way, when people start talking about HTTP verbs, like, you know, or uh, HTTP paths or components of a request or in response, or just the, you know, underlying like fundamentals of how routing occurs and, you know, all the stuff that we actually talk about in the, co the course about routing and logic processing and data stores and things like that, like that will not be super unfamiliar. You'll have the context already on how, you know, an application works. So when you start talking about an ORM or, you know, um, yeah, interacting with the data, the database um, or whatever it might be, like it's going to be, yeah, more familiar to you. You're going to have some context. Um, so that was really good. I think there are a few um, 
online learning resources that were really uh, helpful. They mentioned the Web Security Academy. Um, I've had mixed bag uh, responses to people who are um, feedback on on Web Security Academy. It's like uh, mainly it's like usually it's like, oh, it's good, but it's, you know, it's fairly basic kind of kind of stuff is what I typically hear. Um, uh -huh. So then they go through like, you know, some of the vulnerable goat projects and things like that. And then um, talk about, I think at some point in here, I'm not seeing it here, but I think they do mention like bug bounties somewhere in here um, using those to, you know, improve your, which you and I have talked about it a lot. Like we didn't have bug bounties and wish, I wish I had had bug bounties where I could like, you know, not potentially get in trouble for poking at a, a, a real website. Uh, so I like that they, they had brought, I swear they brought that up somewhere. I'm not, I'm scrolling. I don't see it, but, uh, Oh, they did. They did. It's just above tools and testing. Right. Um, it's okay. Yeah. It's a good way to continue to learn, hone your skills. Yeah. Did you see the, the bit about threat modeling though? That, that that's the one I was like, Oh, it's pretty interesting. They mentioned like G Jeevan we had on the, the podcast and he had mentioned, you know, when he thinks about when he talks to engineers who are unfamiliar with threat modeling, he, he talks about it in the sense of uh, like, here's your house. And this mentions that too, like, here's your house. Like what reasonable risks and controls should you implement in your, you know, median income, normal house? Should it be a $2 million state of the art security system? Probably not. Like what things are you trying to protect? And then like based off what you're trying to protect and what your actual risks are, you know, what controls are reasonable. And that's like the perfect way to think about threat modeling. It really, brings it to a, a, an accessible level for everyone, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had never thought about, the reason I'm saying this is I had never thought about really, uh, you know, uh, go, going at the, the threat model like before really, or as you're learning about application security. Does that make sense? Yeah. Usually to yeah. me, like it's, you learn AppSec and then threat modeling later, but it, I could see value. So I'm curious your, about your thoughts, if you have any there. Um. Yeah, it's, I, I'm on board with that, right? Like the more that I end up having discussions with um, family and friends on, on application security in general, like the, you know, like the general public as they're coming into it or students as they come into it, I find my, myself talking more and more about, um, about what the threats are to an application earlier in the process or earlier in the, the discussion than I did probably when we started our careers 15 years ago, right? Threat modeling, I mean, we kind of did it, but it was a separate thing after the fact, you know, disconnected from AppSec, but we were always doing that in our head, right? Like there's a reason we've got that in the process and it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense to bring that up because people do that naturally on a day-to-day -day basis, right? There, there is, there, they are doing threat assessments or, you know, threat profiles as they walk down the street, right? Um, based on like, you know, what kind of neighborhood am I in? What does like, am I comfortable where I'm at? Like my, uh, do I lock the doors to my car, right? Like how fast should I go? Why do I go, you know, like what are the trade-offs to all of this? And and that sort of balance makes sense to most people. So it's an easier translation than, hey, go build a go build something in code first. If you want to talk about actual security, you can talk about it at a high level, make sure it's something they're interested in before they spend the time to 
learn to code, to learn the AppSec specifics, how threat applies to, you know, code and, you know, product security in general, it's probably an easier path in at least to pique someone's interest or recognize whether or not it's a path that they want to go down. So I like I'm I'm on board for it, but it isn't something that I've necessarily done, right? Um, like having that discussion up front with people new to the industry. And, but it, you know, after reading this and thinking about it, probably is something that we'll we'll consider. I know um, Aaron, who's on board, you know, over on my side of the things that you know does more project management. He's been helping out with the interns as they've gone through some of the internship exercises, like it's it it's like the second thing that he's brought up just naturally and Aaron does not come from a technical background like you and I do right like he has a PhD from you know an Ivy League school on a completely different topic but his ability to um, distill down threats and understand what we're doing as technical people all comes back to this like okay what is the threat that's involved and so he's been like he had the interns and, and I, this is interesting. I think like we're going to do a post here pretty quick on the interns experience this summer, like learning about application security, what we've had them do. Cause we've had them break down like an AppSec 101 style thing. They've been doing CTFs, um, but they're doing threat modeling as well, as far as an understanding of what it is you're trying to prevent, but they're what they're trying to get into, which is not something that I necessarily probably would have jumped into, but Aaron coming at it from a different perspective than you and I did push that up and actually made me recognize again, like this article that is probably more important and more applicable to the general population than just the, Hey, there's input validation that's coming in or there's input coming from the user here. Why should we be concerned about that? Right. Um, so yeah. Well, it makes I sense. I, I mean, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're giving them sort of like uh to your point, part of the methodology of testing an application, doesn't matter what type of testing, is you've got your traditional just like set of vulns that affect any application that you've got to look for. And then you have separately your business specific logic based kind of vulnerabilities. And those ones are more difficult to detect typically um, and require greater understanding of the risks that an application um not just a risk that the application could have, but like you have to understand how the application's intended to be used to figure out how to abuse uh, that usage and do things that are unintended. So it does make sense to have, I think, um, in your case, interns, but in others, you know, just, I guess, newer people running those threat models, getting an idea of like the risks that are specific to that application and not every application, just that application before or as they're, they're learning about, you know, the world of web security. Um, yeah. But like I said, I had never seen anyone recommend that upfront. It's always usually later. So mm -hmm. um, that was, I think an interesting take. And, and the more I think about it and as you're saying it out loud, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good suggestion, right? Um, yeah. Let me see what other resources are in there. They don't list our podcast. What's up with that, Ken? Gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, what's what's going on with that? No, there's so many good uh, resources here, though. And I like that they called out the Tangle Web. Like that's like one of my number one, besides the Web App Hackers Handbook, which is you know, over my yeah. shoulder on the safe there. Um, that one I love because it's a signed copy by Portswigger. 
Uh, anyways, um, that book, big, you know, volume two, probably I think is the newer volume. Uh, always recommend that one. But the Tangle Web is one that, you know, is, is just more like, uh, I guess it just gets into a lot of the nuances of things that we deal with, like, you know, weird specifications, your URI slash URL parsing and how that goes wrong. A lot of the uh, just modern standards and browsers, even I say modern, like the book came out a while ago, but it's still relevant in a lot of ways and applicable in a lot of ways. Um, so very cool book, Hacking the Art of Exploitation. Great book as well. Read that. Uh, the Art of Deception. Great book. Loved it. Um, Allison Bob Apsec. Never read that one. Uh, have you read that one, Bob and Allison yeah. Bob? Is that I have. Tanya? That's that's Tanya's. That's the one that came out recently. And actually, it's a it's a it's a really good introduction into application security. I'll uh, I'll be honest. Like I I was helping somebody put together a you know a a course for a university, and that's the one that they chose to use. And it's a it's a really good guide for you know thinking about risks and you know how they apply. Right. So I mean, Tanya does a good job with it. So. Bro, I, I forgot to check the, the 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 our Slack channel, and uh, there's some some funny um, some funny thing uh, com funny comments in there. But uh, so, but in terms of serious questions, um, or the first question there was uh, certified secure software lifecycle professional, and is that CSSLP. something that? Yes, yeah. I I actually have my CSSLP. Do you really? Um, because when I, ISC squared started it, they again, you know, I go it goes way back, right? Because um, I had my CISP and Ferguson, Dave Ferguson, and I were doing a whole bunch of um, architectures, like uh, you know, application security architecture reviews and lifecycle reviews for companies at that time, and basically you could grandfather your way into it. <laughs> if you could show that you had the experience doing it. Right. Um, so they had, they had an option to do that right up front. So I've had that CSSLP. The only place that I've ever seen that used tell us, and I think somebody responded in there too, right. Is mostly government contracts. There's been some requirements there that if you're um, going to provide some sort of a, you know, uh, application security architecture resource to a government agencies, they do look for the CSSLP. But that's really the only place that I've seen it. Um, I mean, have you even heard of it before, Ken? No, no. When you said okay. you had that, I was like, what? Like, I have never <laughs> even heard. I suck at certs, though. But that's not a bad thing. To, like, here's the thing. When people ask me about certs, you know, it's like, well, it's, yeah. I mean, do you need it? I mean, if, or do you want it? Sometimes it's like, maybe you just want to achieve the cert. And it doesn't mean that, like, anybody needs it or wants it or, or sorry requires it i should say but maybe you just desire to like improve your knowledge there that's you know pretty valuable um i think anytime you're you know trying to expand your knowledge um i can't comment much on certs because to be to be quite fair for, uh, like to myself is like i don't have a need for it right like not to say that i don't have a need to learn but i don't i can learn without at this point i guess learning consists of Oh, here's some new thing that I that is kind of new, right? It's always like there's, it's always going to mimic something that I've seen before. Usually, there's not like new things that are just so new that like I can't. You you just like wow, this is totally outside of anything I've ever seen before. I'm wrapping my head around. I'm trying to wrap my head around it. That's not the case, right? So usually when you're like learning new things at this stage in in 
I would say, you know, mutually in our careers, it's, it's kind of like a hyper specific, I could probably get up to it and then up to speed in a very short period of time. Um, and it's not going to be something that I go to assert for asserts usually more encompassing of, or usually more all encompassing of many domains, even yeah. if it's like software security, it's like, well, it's going to be a lot of different things that get kind of shoveled in there. And that may not be what, you know, someone needs. It may be that they just need this like one little new spec that's come out, like a little refresher on it or uh, something along those lines. So certs aren't bad, but, um, you know, it's like uh, I wouldn't just I wouldn't real, I wouldn't like hang my hat on it and, and say that it's like a degree, right? Like it's the same thing in the, the sense yeah. of a degree. It's like, cool, you can have that. But ultimately, it's going to just come down to what do you actually know? What did you actually retain and what can you actually do? Yep. And that's, well, that's and ultimately it, what an interview should be about. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like if, if I'm looking at somebody that's coming into like our space, I'm going to be looking more for like, did they go out and try to get the, like that burp suite certified practitioner? There's some of these, those other ones that are available that probably are more hands-on or more technical for specific spaces that we're playing in. Right. Uh, CISP, CSSLP, right. Uh, like I get it that the government just wants that kind of base level knowledge there. Um, and a lot, a lot of organizations do. I mean, CISP you see on a lot of job requirements, right? It's usually CISP or a number of years experience because it does kind of translate back and forth. The accreditation there is not the only way to get that, get that info. Um, but that being said, there is quite a bit of interesting knowledge that comes with that. Right. Yes, it's probably not overly applicable to you as an application security professional to know like what height the fence needs to be in a physical security situation around a secure data center, right? Like that's not something you're going to use on a day-to-day basis, but you like, and and I, I've come down kind of differently on this over the last, or I've, I've got a different perspective on it in the last couple of years that all of that kind of base level knowledge helps you prioritize risk. And, and this goes to another comment that's actually in the, in the channel there that I'll get to in a minute. But the more that you're able to properly assess threats and think about threats in an abstract way, the better off you are in the security profession, right? Um, because you're trying to consider all the different options and all the different ways that somebody could mess with a system or you know, maliciously go at a system, if we completely ignore physical security or we completely ignore you know, um, network security stuff that's coming in on a different level, we're going to do our clients and our companies a disservice that we're only thinking about one single aspect of security, which is super interesting to us and we're getting really good at, but you become too hyper-focused and you, lo- you lose perspective in the fact that security like the layered security approach right um and so i like i i like those more than i did early on in my career and you'll be surprised what actually pops up right there's things that i end up using that i learned in college level algorithm classes um that i never thought i would right as a security professional and so You've got to, you just take it all with a grain of salt. It's all, it's all just tools in your tool belt that you, that may, you know, sit there for 10 years, but being able to pull that out will help you in a a future engagement in a future job. I can, you know, I can almost guarantee it. So, um, yeah, I don't think anyone's going to look at that and be like, ah, no, I, I, 
but look at that negatively. Yeah, there's been a quite a few comments here. Also, I didn't know that uh, We Hack Purple was sold. Um, yeah. That's yeah, cool. Um, yeah. But the courses are now free to the community. Okay, well, let me uh, put a, um, the link for that. Uh, I am just a moderator volunteer at Tanya's We Hack Purple community, uh, where the free courses are and a lot of awesome, awesome. assets. Awesome. All right, That's let me great. put that here. Um, I know I, I know. at some point we had talked about having or talking with Tanya again. It might be interesting to see how what her experience has been. Um, yeah. Yeah. The next next um, time we run into her or talk to her, we will. I did want to respond to Hoodie Pony's um, uh, comment on the formal threat model exercise. Um, I think that's a different, that is a different level than just threat modeling or threat assessment in general, right? Um, teaching someone to perform threat modeling, like in a formal sense. Uh, and th this is what I was trying to get back to, right? Like, you know, being able to assess threats and perform a, you know, checklisted threat model are two separate things. Um, and I don't think teaching someone that process early on is as useful as just having the discussion about what goes into it um, from a, I'm building my AppSec career perspective. That That's all I wanted to say there. So where were you going, Ken? Yeah. Yeah. Just listening, just listening to your advice. Um and following the threads as well. Huh. Um, yeah. Cool. I mean, anything else you wanted to touch on for folks new new uh, in their career here? Or um, oh, they mentioned the Phoenix Project. Yeah, please read the Phoenix Project. Please read that. That's a great book. I think it is so helpful in so many ways. It's actually something I always recommend to people. Um, yeah. Understanding, I think, zooming out and seeing like what all has done when when um you know, when something's going to ship, you know, what are the executive level on down sort of concerns and how each department plays their role. And I think that, uh, you know, the, the way they kind of speak to several things, but like the way they talk about the security person and now the security person's kind of like not quite getting that they, uh, they aren't the most important, uh, you know, factor in all of this. They're actually just more, more so they should become a better partner and, and a better enabler. Um, I think it's a great message as well. At least that's what I took away from the book. Um, but yeah, just curious if you had anything else you wanted to add uh, to this before we move on. Um, I don't think so. I just put a comment back in there, right? Like uh, Hoodie Pony did call out the difference between the threat assessment versus threat modeling. Um, and that and that's it. Like the formal process of threat modeling is, is not something I would teach before you've got the basics of application security together. But thinking about threats, prioritizing threats, like similar to what we do in the secure code review process as well always comes up front, right? Like we've got to be able to prioritize. We've got to be able to think about it and the experience that you, and it, it, I, we always go into this, but the experience that you bring to the table is different than everyone else that's, that's sitting, that is sitting there with you. So don't discount the fact that you did study like how high that fence has to be around the data center um, because it's going to give you a different perspective on the threats and the risks that are associated with any application, and then also different ways to go at it. And I'm, I'm constantly surprised by by people coming from outside of the regular, like, hey, I was a coder space getting into application security. 
um, and the threats that they bring to the table, the way they think about threats is slightly different, but that perspective is invaluable um, from, a, from a team perspective when trying to secure an application. Um, yeah, I think that's, I, 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 I think mean, that summarizes it pretty well. Can, can I just say, yeah. can I just say yeah. that this feels like a great segue into your, your threat modeling article that you, you had as a, <laughs> one of the, the pieces of content oh, yeah. we can discuss? <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> hey, listen, we'll talk about whatever you want, but that does feel like a natural segue into, into that article. Yes, um, we, we'd love it when that works out. So if you're starting the threat model, go look at Jeevan Singh's articles on threat modeling and his presentation. That's great, like teaching developers to do threat modeling. Um, this is a great, um, yeah, intro into threat modeling, right? Like, you know, there's, you know, this is kind of the checklist that runs through what a threat model looks like, how you go about it, the different resources that are available. Um, I mean, they even break down like the benefits of threat modeling, the, me the different methodologies involved with it. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, so Ken, you, I know you guys over there at Microsoft have uh, developed, you know, your own like threat modeling process with around code product stuff as it's coming out. Like you have formalized that somewhat, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like how did you do that? What did you base that on? What was the, you know, what was the process behind that? What did it look like for your team? Well, first of all, I don't want to say we're the best at it or anything like that. I want to say we're, we're in two phases. We're in part one of two phases, right? So the first phase is to like, uh, you know, make it formal in the sense of have a process, have it documented, have some tooling and some some guidance and collateral that you receive, make it a part of some process, right? For us, it's usually a part of the, um, this is where we're moving to a phase two, because right now it's kind of happening as the security gate, like last check, right? Before something's going out there, um, you know, and ideally we, we move that farther left, which we're in the process of working on right now. To, and really that becomes a, a self-service. Um, in order to accomplish that, it's got to be self-service and it's got to be driven by engineers. Um, and in that case, G, Givon's, uh training for engineers is in, incredibly valuable. But in this current iteration, it's primarily porn, uh, performed by offensive teams. So uh, red team and assessment are like our two offensive teams within PSE, product security engineering. Uh, and those are the two teams that, yeah, primarily work with engineers. Now, engineers drive the sessions. Um, you know, th there'll be gentle guidance from security. Um, and we have, uh, we've, we've used some standardized tooling. Um, you know, I think we, we've, we've used in the past Threat Dragon. Um, I, mm -hmm. you know, I actually, uh, feel like for a pretty basic threat model, like that's a, you know, I've heard, I've heard people that are really, listen, I'm not the threat modeling expert. I know how to threat model, but I'm not the expert. Um, it's not like my specialty or anything like that. So, you know, there's probably much more, uh, there, there are probably opinions out there and people who have much more value, val valuable additions to, to give to this topic than myself. But what I can say is that um, I felt like Threat Dragon was actually pretty uh, simplistic. The way I threat model, the way our team threat models, it's usually you know pretty pretty high level looking at the architecture. Mm -hmm. um, and I I'm, I will say this too. One thing I've learned is that um, engineers building the product are 
incredible at, at coming up with, we've talked about this before, but when you really let, we've talked about it in the sense of when you ask a developer, Hey, what are the risks of your application that concern you? They usually are spot on understanding where, well, in the, the case of the engineers I tend to work with, uh, they're pretty spot on with where the threats are, are actually at. Now, if you extend that out to something more formal like threat modeling, you have the engineering teams who are gently guided through that process. Uh, we have found that they're, they're really good at sussing out vulnerabilities and they're really good at polite, um, how do I say it? Like, uh, yeah, just polite debate, right? Um, they usually will go back and forth and, and have a little bit of disagreement on, hey, you know, actually you think that that control is mitigating this, but it's not, and here's why. And it's always interesting to, to listen in on these sessions. So anyways, that's like uh, the full ranting um, sort of like, here's how we kind of do it now. Here's how we want to do it in the future. In the future, self-serve guidance by the time you are self-serve, uh, operating in a self-serve manner and not using security to have to drive those discussions um, through training and then having that collateral given to folks as part of the list of activity, security activities that have occurred prior to that last gate check, where it's just a gut check, make sure everything actually that needed to occur has occurred, including like secure code requirements, threat modeling sessions, whatever activities that needed to be performed. Um, you know, it's just, it, it's having, having, moving left, uh, in, that, in that way, it's going to be much, much better than, than trying to identify risks at the last stage of development. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I, like, I think back even over the last six months, year, like the different projects that we've done for clients. And that's always the, that's the interesting case, right? Like those developers and you, like, I know you've, you've helped looked at some code and things like that, but the, the, the developers that have sat down and already thought through the risks involved, like, you know, even documented it in comments in the code base have always like, it's almost like they've already identified the weak spots in the application. They know where they are. They know what exists and us coming into it. It's made the, the assessments that much more valuable to both the developers and made it easier on us as we get through that. Right. Um, so I don't know, I ask the question, right? Like always like ask the question of the developers. You've got to have the developers here when you are doing any sort of assessment. Otherwise there's always a question on whether or not it's going to get fixed. And I know there's assessments that happen and threat models that happen from a purely like, uh, auditing perspective, right? Like, you know, it's a checkbox that has to be done before code goes out, um, but take those with a grain of salt. Um, you know, the the list itself, though, gives you a good idea on why you want to do that earlier on and why you do want the developers involved, why you want them as the team that actually conducts the threat model as opposed to security that flies in. Um, I've been on way too many. There's yeah. a bit of a bit of a help there when it's not security telling you what your problems are, but it's your teammates being like, here's what I think our problems might be. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that, 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 what you said there, I think it's important to call out, you know, that, that, yep. that having developers do it, not, yeah, engineers, it changes yeah. that a bit. Well, and, and one thing that I've, you know, I've come to recognize too, when you're doing threat modeling, 
is coming up like uh, so we always talk about stride and dread like and um oftentimes we use these acronyms without properly defining what they actually do right and how they're used in a threat model um but one of the things that i found useful recently is going to the team with that quantitative risk model like so based on dread right the damage like the kind of the formula for how uh like how risky that threat is right like or how it's actually applied and what the prioritization is coming up with a standard set an agreed upon set of threats that can be quanti quantitatively defined and calculated before you dive in um, so that you don't quibble on well, like exactly what you're saying, right? Like if you're doing a formal threat model, you don't want to quibble on whether or not that threat exists or what the levels should be when you come out with the results, because it will be a lot of back and forth. So it's easier to go up front and actually define that with the team members that are involved, as opposed to doing it after the fact. Um, sometimes that's pushed down by the security team on, you know, here's the quantitative formula that you're going to use for your threats. Um, it is based on dread or whatever it is, right? Um, but at the very least, there is a standard set of agreed upon output, right? That what's coming out of the of of the threat model, especially in these formal settings, it needs to be agreed upon. Otherwise, people have wildly different expectations when you finish up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I'm also pull. pull I want to like. Uh, point to Anthony's comment here about um, about uh, having this. Uh, so I'm trying to kind of formulate some thoughts here because Anthony mentioned. Uh, I mean, the tooling aside, like yeah, the, the tooling is is actually you know honestly, Draw.io is probably one of your better you know <laughs> threat is. modeling tools. Quite quite honestly, um, and they had mentioned uh, Microsoft uh, threat model threat tool not being yeah. ideal. Listen, that's probably very true. I think the thing that I want to touch on here is though, though, is that you're you're talking about a uh, feature level driven threat model with an ad hoc ad hoc checklist, and so this is actually something that we've been trying to figure out is how to, you know, we're in the process of of, of figuring out for for this reason. You have like your service, your service, right? Like whatever, and I mean that that's a that's a system, right? So like. GitHub.com is a service, right? Um, the service itself is going to have risks associated with it already, right? And it might have a moderate risk level, low, whatever. It has a risk level. And when you add a new feature to that thing, it presumably changes the risk level a bit. Now, that that's where I think it, it gets interesting doing threat models on the individual uh, feature. And fo fo follow, along with, follow along with me here because you have to take into account the, if it's not a new service, an existing service, you have to take into account prior sort of like risk assessments and, and, and just the, the architecture information that you have about that service. And it's, again, there's a lot of factors that you're going to, you're going to take into account. And then you have to say like, okay, now how does that feature that's being added? How does that affect the, the previous, um, not just threat model, but also just like, like I said, how, how we categorically define the services risk level and, and um, are the controls that we have in place to mitigate those risk levels. 
so you have to have over time collateral built up because, um, you know, presumably, again, fit features are going to ship at a velocity where maybe in six months you'll see, I don't know, for a large project uh, product, it might be a hundred and something new features or it might be 25 new features or it might whatever. Right. And that gets complicated over time, like keeping that collection of data and then, you know, seeing how those those new features affect the risk level of that service. Um you know, how those, how those features basically turn the knobs on, on risk. Yeah. Yeah. And sorry, I'm distracted. I like, we've got, yeah, everyone's it's a good, I know there's a good great, conversation. Yeah, it's great, yeah. great dialogue. It's almost like we want to respond in Slack, but we need to keep, yeah, keep, uh, yeah. The recognition going here in the, in the audio as well. Right. Like Adam, Adam, um, <laughs> Adam, Adam is summoned of course. Right. Like, um, yeah, the the tools that are available, right? Like, I, yeah, it's hard to. I, I guess say, what I'm trying to say is, it's hard to collect that collateral and make those changes over time as things. It's just it's just a yeah. difficult problem. Is all I'm trying to point to is that it is one thing when you say I'm going to do a full threat model on this new feature. Great, okay, but then there's other things to factor in. It's like previous architecture decisions, previous controls, like another department, especially when you get into a security department our size, right? Or yeah. org, I was actually, actually, it's not department's not fair. Security organization is more fair. It's a very large part of part of GitHub, right? And so in those cases, you know, you might have another team from a different department, but all within security giving recommendation and advice. And you've got to like know that that's the advice that was given. It probably made sense. You know, we hired smart people, right? But uh, I need now factor in your advice to this new like threat modeling for just a single sing, singular feature over this part of a bigger service. So I don't know if that's really clear the way I'm saying it, but it is a, like an interesting problem space to, to, to work with. And um, this is probably more indicative of a program that begins to mature, right? Like you, you, yeah. you have different problem sets than somebody who's just coming in and like, has like, you know, vanilla SQL injection or whatever I or on their websites and they're like brand new and all the things are like, you need to put security in, like there's no security, stuff to begin with right and and then us which we have a large security org we've been a product for a long time our problem set's a little bit different and it gets more uh difficult to track over time as things uh yeah evolve yeah I, yeah and i mean the same thing goes with like any any qualitative or like um i don't want to say it any process that isn't like a a tool based process, right? Something that is a um, hands-on manual activity that's done by people. The way to actually document that and push that into results is going to differ based on the people that are involved in that situation or in that process, in that activity. So for some people, it, you know, they still may use Microsoft's old threat modeling tool. And that's great yeah. if it's if the output is what you expect it to be. Um, new people getting into it, it's probably going to be easier to approach that with Drya.io, um, maybe some of the YAML markdown stuff that's available that's out there, right? Like there, there's, depending on the experience of the reviewers of the threat modelers, it's going to change. And so you don't want to get too tied into any one specific tool there because you do want to make it flexible. The important thing here is the output, not necessarily the path you took 
to get to that output, right? Uh, I've seen very, very effective threat models done on whiteboards with uh, just, you know, pictures of the actual breakdown. Um, and some of the initial ones that I did, right? Like you remember when I went to uh, years and years ago with the previous company that shall not be named, like went to China and did like oh. threat modeling for like a month <laughs> on internal Android. Like, and it was uh, like, it was one of the most painful threat models I've ever done because, you know, having to have a translator translate threats back and forth between, you know, people that don't speak the same language is incredibly difficult. So a conversation that should take five minutes takes 30, but outside of that, the, the best thing that came out of that was the whiteboarding sessions that we had in breaking down what those threats actually were and the understanding that we came to because we could get so level, right? So low level talking to people that were developing like, uh, you know, code running directly on Silicon and everything that's involved with that, the threats that come in, how people would actually attack it. It, it was a, it was a very interesting activity, but what I'm getting at there is that, the output was what was important. It wasn't necessarily the process that we took. A lot of times as technicians, we get very involved in, well, this is the best way to get the output, you know, that we want. And from our experience, that best way is using draw.io, draw, you know, Microsoft threat modeling tool, threat dragon, whatever it is. And that may work for you and I, but that's not going to work for everybody. Yeah, no, yeah. It definitely will not. Um, yeah. I will say this as a piece of advice too, since you mentioned the different tools, um, you know, when, when, when possible, just, I mean, I guess the thing to realize is that the pit that you're going to want the collateral, whether it's the security team or whether it's the engineers doing the threat model, you're going to want that collateral collected for historical purposes. And obviously because you're going to build on top of previous threat models as well um, to recognize that whatever tool you choose you probably want everyone to use that tool and the reason is is as you uh continue to collect that output uh, you want to make sure the output can be easily consumed right so like for instance yeah. with threat dragon we end up with like gigantic json blobs which is fine because everyone's using threat dragon so we can just like load up that and even if we couldn't because it's in a j i'll say this as long as it's in a format that you know it's easily parsed and 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 uh you know if you need to reformat it, um, you know, the, the fact that Threat Dragon does it in a big J JSON blob that's parsable and, you know, you can rejigger the data as needed per tool. I mean, it makes it, it pretty easy, but it's a consideration to, to just, just to think about, like when you're suggesting your tool set is that, you know, you definitely want everyone to be on the same page with the output. So it's easily consumed later. Yeah. 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 And that, uh, that's kind of what I was trying to get at was that like the output's important, like, where it can be consumed, passed around so other people can understand it and come back to it. So you can share it with another team within security and they understand what you did, what recommendations you made so that they don't go and make opposite recommendations, right? Um, it's, it's extremely frustrating getting into um, a discussion. And this happened to me recently, right? Like where um, an engineering org was told by security that they needed to do a specific assessment and threat model against new features going into an application. We get to the final readout with security. Security comes in and says, well, why didn't you guys test X, Y, and Z that had nothing to do with this scope, right? Because they weren't involved with those initial discussions. They weren't involved with those initial threats. 
And as an outsider coming into it, I just am kind of thrown up my hands saying, well, that, you know, it's not like that's internal organization politics and discussions and organization that has to happen. Um, but like you could hear in the engineers' voices the level of like dis disappointment and frustration that was coming from, you know, dealing with security, right? Like I just, it's so disheartening to see that happen because we've, we've lived through that year after year after year. So we want to make sure that we're on the same page, right? You want to look at the other threat models that have been done for that app, for that architecture before you start to make recommendations. If it's greenfield, it's greenfield. That's great. But to your point, Ken, doing a full threat model, everyone's expectations are different when it comes to that. So you need to agree on the output before you start the input. Anyway, I, like, no, yeah. I agree. I, yeah. 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 I and, I mean, and I think to add to what you're saying, the recommendations themselves, you know, like so that you don't step on the, the toes of other, you know, like implementation details versus like high level. Right. So an implementation detail would be like or a high level rather would be like uh, have service to service off. And then the implementation implementation details would speak to how to Im implement, you know, uh, service to service off. And I think at that point, the implementation bit um that's that's where you need to like figure out if anybody else gave recommendations but if it's like a high level enough bit like i just need this control in place like i just need service to service auth or whatever it might be um or you know hey you didn't implement rbac like it's just anonymous users or logged in users like whatever it might be that's just a control but in terms of the implementation details that's when you do have to make sure you don't step on anyone else's toes within security but the high level controls yeah. are usually pretty safe to just kind of say like hey you should have that thing or whatever uh, yep so yeah yeah you would hope that security would be on the same page with most of that for sure so. it gets hard i can tell you it that is. i can tell you it, it, you say that uh it gets 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 complicated when you have a large security org it really does <laughs> it, it gets pretty hard like you have to communicate actually again it's like another thing that we're working towards better you know like at this point I have weekly syncs with other managers from within the same department, as well as just not out, not like outside of my department, but within security, just so that we can all stay on the same page with and move in the same direction and, and make sure we're not deduping, you know, efforts and things like that. Yeah. So. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Cause it, it's easy <clears throat> to start stepping on each other's toes. MS paint. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I just happened to see that. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, that was a good chuckle. Nice. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that one. Booty booty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to do it. MSP now. <laughs> you laugh, but there have been times that you pull that up and you're like, oh, I just need this one boundary drawn in right here. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Let me see what else was on our list. Um, but if you're getting into threat modeling, right? So threat dragging using, whoa, threat dragon, using those tools, review the, that article that we posted up there. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in there, right? Um, and then Jivon's talks on making it relevant to engineers and other people, not just security people. Um, people are, you know, anyone that lives is doing threat assessment on a daily basis and can formalize that pretty quickly if you if given the right tools yeah 
I mean, I, I really feel like threat modeling can be as formal or as informal as you want it to be. Um, but as an organization, you typically have to have some sort of expected output in order to, uh, in, in, or, in order to normalize the threat modeling activities that are going on, whether that is a simple list of, okay, these were the threats that were identified. These were the threats that we considered, right? Like to make sure that they're doing, you know, they're considering at least a base level of, you know, attackers as they're coming in. That's, that's probably where you want to start, but you can get really, really into the weeds quickly there. <laughs> Bar napkin and, yeah, I've done a threat model with bar napkin with a client over drinks that. That makes sense. Yep. Real discussions with stakeholders. You're absolutely right. Like those real discussions is where you you identify those. Um, and it, I do want to uh, like call that out, right? The discussions are what's important there, right? Like it's the it's sitting down with a team to prioritize risk and identify risk as a pose or identify threats, I should say, as opposed to doing it in a vacuum. Um, because we all get siloed pretty quickly. And like, I know I find myself doing this on assessments is I have my favorite vulnerabilities. I have my favorite threats that I like to look at. And those are the ones that I focus on. Um, and without a checklist, without other interaction and discussion, um, I tend to stick to those patterns that have worked for me in the past, which isn't always appropriate. It is a lot of times, but it isn't always appropriate. So make sure someone else is involved. Make sure it's not just you. Mm. We're um, we're not going to have time to get into it, Seth. But I did want to just briefly drop this link for uh, so that other people can can read read more about it. Um, just okay. like I said, we're not we're definitely not going to have time for for this one. But uh, basic gist is um, NFTs uh, or like NFT community uh, rather. Um, they ha so there have been there's been uh, very I guess it's like a hundred more than one hundred and fifty compromises uh, targeting NFT projects through Discord servers since May uh, of this year. So we are now I guess that's like a little about two months of uh, compromises through Discord servers for NFT projects. So now that's coming out of TRM Labs on uh, on Twitter. You, you know their trmlabs.com. Um, is is their their site? I don't have any. We have no affiliation with them. Obviously, it just like seemed interesting um, that 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 that's going on, and I just wanted to like uh, give people the Twitter thread, and you can go follow up more and find out more information uh, about the the report lab or excuse me, the report link rather. I'll put into YouTube uh, chat and to Slack, so you can read the full report and get up to speed on that. So anyways, just wanted to mention that, Seth, because I know we're about at the hour. We're not going to have time to like dig into much more here. So, yeah. Yep. Um, there's, yeah, there's quite a bit going on, right? If you've got specifics that you would like to talk about um, or would like us to talk about in a future episode, please join the Slack channel. I know we promote it all the time, but there's a really good group of smart people that are in there. Um, you know, obviously, you know, they, yeah. They know a lot about this as well. So um, join it um, or, you know, ping Ken and I, I do have t-shirts. We're doing another uh, shipment here within the next week. I will do the one before DEF CON as well as have some t-shirts at DEF CON. If you would like some swag, jump into our Slack channel and ping me directly. Um, 
me think if there's anything else, Kim. I know we've been going for an hour, so I think we'll we'll cut it. If we dive into another topic, it's going to be another <laughs> half hour. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, and unfortunately, I got meetings and such, as you know, so I got to roll. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for the interaction today. Um, it's been a good one, uh, you know, between YouTube, between the Slack channel, seeing what everyone's uh, experience is in both of those spaces, getting into AppSec and threat modeling. Um, very useful a lot of useful info, right? So uh, share it out. We'll get this posted. And yeah, otherwise next week can, I will have to figure out when we're going to do the show next week because I will be in, in Vegas at some point on Tuesday. Right. Um, so we may have to uh, change the time a little bit, but we'll let everybody know, just watch the YouTube channel and Twitter slash Slack, and we'll let people know when we're recording again. And you know. Shit, we might be able to do it Monday night or something, or maybe even Sunday night before we get into training Monday and Tuesday. We'll see. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Yep, we'll figure it out. But we'll, we'll let people know. Having a live session is always fun during DEF CON as it is. Yes, sir. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining today. And we will catch you all online. <laughs>